You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. All right, uh, this morning we're looking at John 17 in what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's Jesus' final recorded prayer on behalf of his people before his crucifixion and death. And we're going to break it into three parts. Part one, what is Jesus praying for? Part two, who is Jesus praying for? And part three, how is Jesus expecting his prayer to be answered? So once again, what is Jesus praying for? Who is Jesus praying for? And how does he expect his prayer to be answered? Let's pray once more with me for the Lord's help and we'll get into it. Father, I just pray that your name would be glorified. Please Give me proper speech. Give me truth. Give me love. Help uh, everyone um, in this building to be able to hear your word. May you be glorified, we pray. Amen. I want you to picture uh, a group of young army men hunkered down in a field. They're nervous. Their eyes are wide open. Their hearts beating out of their chest. They're crawling carefully, slowly, because they are deep behind enemy lines. They're the remnant of what had formerly been a rather large group, but by this time, much of their squad has already fled fled from the battle. Overwhelmed with fear and disillusioned with the mission, they left. But these 11 remain. Why do they remain? They remain because they trust their commander. His presence alongside them provides security. His wisdom brings them hope. And his words that he had spoken to them so many times before now are echoing in their ears. Do not be afraid. I will keep you even as the bullets fly. This imagery is my attempt to capture the essence of what it may have felt like for the disciples to have followed Jesus throughout the three-year course of his ministry in Judea and Galilee. Despite the danger all around them, demon-possessed men, outraged religious leaders, not knowing where they were going to lay their head at night, despite that danger, these disciples could not and would not leave their master. For as one of them, Peter, had said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know you are the Holy One of God. But that sense of security is about to be tested. In John 17, located at the tail end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus, having completed every task that the Father has asked of him up until this point, has one more to go. He has to die. And in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. He's about to die. And knowing he was about to die, and he was going to be with the Father, and knowing his disciples would not die at that moment, but stay in that world, Jesus prays. So now skipping down to verse 11 of chapter 17. He says what might be one of the most frightening things to imagine. 
probably the worst nightmare on behalf of the disciples as they heard it. Jesus says this, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm no longer here, but they are. Come back to the imagery of the young army men crawling through the deep, uh, behind enemy lines. Now imagine one of them is so shaken with fear, he resolves that he has to look up. He's crawling on the ground and he just has to look. Why does he have to look? He has to see his commander. He's so nervous, he's so afraid, but he knows if he can just catch a glimpse of his commander, if he can just see the steel in his eyes, the strength in his heart, the, the, the love in his arms, if he can just see him, he'll have the courage to press on. So, slowly, he picks up his head and looks, and he sees the commander, and the commander's looking back at him. But you can see in his eyes... There's a different look there than there was before. And he whispers to the soldier, I'm leaving. How vulnerable would you feel? Jesus, our commander, our protector, says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. How vulnerable do we feel in this moment? In addition to vulnerability, we might also rise with anger. You said you would keep me when the bullets fly. Well, they're flying. Where are you? You might shake your head in disbelief. How could I have been so foolish? Why did I follow him? Why did I trust him? You might puff up in pride and self-determination. Good riddance. Who needs him anyways? I can do this on my own. Perhaps you'd tear the emblems off the sleeves of your jacket. You'd turn the camouflage inside out. Cut your hair, change your name, learn the language of the enemy. Not a double agent, but a single-minded, fully-fledged, card-carrying apostate. Vulnerable, angry, prideful, rebellious. Are these the words that describe us when we feel far from Jesus? When Jesus says he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and then spiritual drought comes, and we feel so far from him, we consider whether the love we had for him in the first place was ever real at all. When Jesus says he'll keep us, and then doubts, questions come flooding into our mind, and we wonder if Jesus actually is who he says he is, if it's all a lie. When Jesus says he'll satisfy us, and day after day, feeling lonely and hopeless, we begin to question, should we look to another? Because this whole, whole Jesus thing isn't quite doing it right now. We know these feelings. We know these seasons of struggle. We've all likely experienced them before to different degrees. Some of us are in the depths of them right in this moment. These times are real, and they're dangerous. They're real, and they're dangerous, and they're exactly the reason Jesus is praying. So here's our context for John 17. Again, we're going to answer three questions. The first question we're going to go for now is, what is Jesus praying for? 
John 17, verse 11, I am no longer in the world, they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, here it comes. Holy Father, keep them. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. He goes on saying, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. I have guarded them in your name. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, referring to Judas. Keep them? How? I don't know about you, but when I encounter struggle, living in a broken world, it might be in the midst of a heart-crushing experience like losing a loved one, or it might be in the earth-shattering prognosis of a disease, or it might be just the simple, heavy, hazy darkness of depression and hopelessness day after day. But when I'm in these situations, two solutions come to mind. Solution one sounds like this. Jesus will rescue me out of this struggle. The pain will go away. The disease will be healed. The family member will return. The heart will start beating once again. And everything will be right once more. Or solution two. Jesus won't rescue me. And I got to do this myself. In either option, the end result is temporarily at least getting out of the struggle. The only consideration who's, is who going to do it. Is Jesus going to do it for me or am I going to have to do it for myself? But either way, I'm getting out of the struggle. That's what naturally comes to my mind. Let's check out solution number one. Jesus will rescue you out of this struggle. It doesn't last long in John 17. As Jesus' prayer continues, we see, verse 14, the world has hated them because they are not of the world. He's talking about us. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So we're in a world where we're hated. We have pain. We have difficulty. And Jesus says, I'm not asking that you take them out of it. Okay, well, it seems like solution one isn't going to work here. And in many of our lives, and I know in mine all too often, I start to fall into solution two at this point. Solution two says, Jesus isn't coming. I need to save myself. And this looks like this. Jesus, I won't wait any longer. I'm going to take things into my own hands so when depression comes, I'm reaching for a drink or for a drug, anything to numb the pain. When loneliness hits, I'm pulling out my phone, social media, online shopping, pornography, anything to mute my loneliness. When fears flood, it might be from thoughts of terrorism, governmental shutdowns, the, the possibility of death, when those fears come, I'm just going to ignore them and pretend like nothing is happening. Or... I'm going to close up inside. I'm going to go into preservation mode. No more going outside. Lock the doors. Close the blinds. Safety at all costs, even if it means hurting others. Self-preservation. It's safe to assume these acts of becoming our own savior here in Solution 2, self-preservation, ditching our trust in Jesus, 
is not the kind of response Jesus has in mind for us when he prays to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So what does Jesus have in mind? And here I just want to pause for a second because sometimes Jesus does cause a specific struggle to cease. He heals a hurt. He closes a wound. He fills a gap. He provides an answer. Sometimes. And we take a deep breath and we wipe away our tears and we rejoice and we should. But even still, with the specific struggle gone, the everyday pains of living in a broken world have yet to come to a stop for us. We still live here. Which means, even with that specific item gone from our list, we're still wounded by the sins in the hearts of others. We're still hounded by the sins in our own hearts. And we're still hurt and damaged by the sin of living in a broken world. Things like sickness, injury, natural disasters. So what is Jesus' plan for us? We've gone through two, two solutions thus far. I want to offer you a third one. The third solution sounds like this. Um, we are not taken out of worldly struggles, but we are kept by Jesus while we remain in them. We aren't taken out of worldly struggles, but we are kept by Jesus while we remain in them. And this is what he prays for. John 17, 11. I'm no longer in the world. They are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. See, later on in verse 15 of chapter 17, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. But for me, this begs a question. Who is Jesus praying for here? You see, I look at my friends, some who I've gone to church with, read the Bible with, prayed with, some who encouraged me in my faith, someone who kept me going in my faith when I was struggling. And now they, they could care less about Jesus. They've come across struggles. Some of them have just come across different questions. And they've bailed on Jesus. In short, I have to ask the question, has Jesus kept them? You probably have people like this in your own life that you're asking that same question of. Has Jesus kept them? We don't know what God has in store for those people, and we pray that they would come back, that they would savor Jesus, that they would come to have real, genuine love for Jesus. But from our vantage point, right now, it doesn't seem like there's any sign of them coming back. And if these people that I'm talking about are who Jesus is praying for, then we have to ask the question, was Jesus' prayer answered? See, if Jesus' prayer here has failed, then I even look myself in the mirror and I think, why would I be any different 10 years from now, 
20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now? Why would I be any different? But as we see throughout what's known as Jesus' farewell discourse, chapters 14 through 17 in John, it becomes as clear as day. Jesus says what he says here, and he does what he does here, not for all people generally. In this section, it's not for all people generally, but for the sake of a specific group of people, his people people he knows by name, the people he's predestined from all eternity to live with him forever, those that he will most definitely keep. Chapter 15, verse 3, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Chapter 15, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, it's a specific group, to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. All that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Chapter 15, verse 15. 16.1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. 16, verse 4, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember all that I told you. 16.33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace And 17, verse 2, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh, all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. It's a specific group within the realm of all the world. So my question is, who are these people and am I one of them? What is their defining characteristic? Is it those who are beautiful, those who are talented? Jesus keeps them. Is it those who are uh, of a certain culture, a certain language, or a certain lineage? Maybe Jesus decides to keep them. Or is it those who just prove themselves that they are productive and useful? Jesus chooses to save and keep them. Who is it? Well, continuing on in the prayer in 17, verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and now listen. They have kept your word. Who are God's people? Who are the ones who Jesus will keep? 17, verse 6, it says, these are the ones who have kept your word. We see it again in 17, verse 8. I have given them the words that you gave me. They have received them, received the words, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Who are God's people? Who are the ones who will be kept? Answer, those who keep his word. And this theme is everywhere in John. Chapter 8, verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Contrast, 843. Why do you not understand? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. 
Chapter 8, 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, they will never see death. Contrast in verse 12. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, the words I have spoken will judge them. 14.23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Here's a contingent promise. Uh, chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. God's people are those who keep God's word. God's people don't hate God's word. God's people don't ignore God's word. God's people don't pick and choose which parts of God's word to follow and which to take out of their Bibles and ignore. God's people don't push his word off to the side and say, I'll get to that when I have time. God's people keep God's word. They love it and they immerse themselves in it. So one question here, how do I, how do you know if you are one of God's people? Do you love his word? Do you see his word as life? Do you rely on it for everything? And I want to clarify here, I'm not saying you're always going to feel overjoyed when reading God's word. It may at times feel tiresome. It may feel boring. You may have questions or, or concerns. What does this mean? You may get sidetracked with other activities for a while. You may need reminders or accountability to, to read God's word. But even with all of those bumps in the road, even with all of those struggles, at the end of the day, if you look to God's word and you say, yes, that is what I stand on. That is what I am banking on for life. That's a characteristic of a child of God. That's what God's people do. So, question one, what is Jesus praying? He's praying that his people be kept. Question two, who are Jesus' people? Those who keep and love his word. And this brings us to our third and final question. How does Jesus expect his prayer to be answered? This point will be a little quicker, but we'll see it here in John 17, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So my question is, how? How is he going to keep us from the evil one? He, he could ask anything right now. Give us swords and shields. Give us protection. Give us whatever it may be. He could ask anything. How is he going to do it? What's his plan? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So here it is. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus literally could have prayed for anything. Anything. What does Jesus pray for? Father, this is the way I want you to keep my people. This is the way I want them kept. 
by immersing themselves in the word and being changed by it. So what is sanctification? Kind of, a, kind of a big word. It essentially means the process of being conformed, the process of being changed to look more and more like Jesus every day, growing to think more, speak more, behave more, look more, more and more like Jesus every day. And sanctification happens in the way Jesus asks for it to happen by his word. So Jesus is praying that his people be kept. Jesus is praying for his people who love his word. And how are they going to be kept? They are going to be kept through sanctification, through being changed, being conformed as they read and immerse themselves in God's word. So here's the application. In 2019, not many days from now, in 2019, we do not know what will come our way. January 1st, 2019, what will happen that day? February 1st, March 1st, April 1st, May 1st, what's going to happen? We don't know. Will it be injury or disease or death? Will we lose our health, lose our job, lose our spouse, lose our kids, lose our home? Will our relationships that were used to be good, will they grow tense? Will money grow scarce? Will our outlook grow dim? What will happen? Will our government fail us? Will our enemies attack us? Will our national and personal safety grow questionable? We do not know. But what we do know, what God's people do know is that we will be kept by Jesus in 2019. And we will be kept as we are sanctified and changed in his word. We will be kept in 2019, no matter what comes. We will be kept. If we lose our job and we lose our money in 2019, We'll grow to be like Jesus as we cling to Psalm 37. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. If government fails and terrorism runs wild in 2019, we will trust in Jesus as we hold on to Matthew 10. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. If depression sets in and it feels like hope is nowhere to be found in 2019, we will rely on Jesus as we maintain Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that who, he who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in me, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. If we hear that vile whisper in our ears, God won't keep you. God doesn't love you. 
God is going to withhold from you. We will look that lie square in the face and shout back, John 17, 26, Jesus, God of this world, says, I made them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He will continue to make it known. We have his word. We have his promise. Yes, we will be kept in 2019 as we immerse ourselves in his word. I want to close here by just taking one final look at this prayer. It's found in John 17, verse 19. Jesus says, For their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. When Jesus says, I consecrate myself, that's kind of another weird word, consecrate. Consecrate here connotes a, a setting aside for God's use. It's atonement language, like in the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would set himself aside so that he might be able to offer the great sacrifice on behalf of his people. And he would take the sacrificial animal that would also be set aside, and he would sacrifice that animal for the sake of of his people. Only now, Jesus, our great high priest, is saying here, he's about to consecrate himself. He's about to leave his disciples, set himself aside. And the question is, why? Jesus, I'm thankful for your word, but why can't you still be here? I want your word and you here. Why can't it be both ways? Why does Jesus leave? Jesus leaves, not in order to save his life, but in order to sacrifice it on behalf of his people. He leaves because if he were to stay, his people would die. But in dying, his people now live. Jesus, our commander, leaves his soldiers behind as he walks ahead to his death. And best of all, having done so, Jesus has now conquered death. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is right now, like right now, right in this moment, interceding for us on our behalf at the right hand of God. He's praying for us. I, I saved that man. I, I saved her. Keep them. I, I saved them. And they're mine. And I'm not letting them go. Father, keep them. The Father says, you better believe we're keeping them. He's right now interceding for us, loving us, keeping us. And because of all this, his word is true. We heard at the beginning, do not worry. I have died for you, and I have given my word to you, and I have done all this in order that I might keep you even as the bullets fly. So let's pray.
God, you are a keeping God. We feel afflicted in every way here on earth, but we are not crushed. We feel perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We feel persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We feel struck down, but we are not destroyed. We are left in the world, and yet we are kept by you in this world. God, I praise you for this, and I pray, God, for the believers in this room that they would love that truth. God, I pray that you'd make us people of your word. And for anyone who is in this room who does not have that type of relationship, God, I pray right now, by your word and by the power of your spirit, call them home. Praise in your name. Amen.